I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Addy Brassel. And I'm Jonathan Johnson. On this End of several eras edition. It's au revoir to Real Madrid's King Karim. Zim Zimmer, we'll hear how Saudi got the keys to Benzema. And it's hey door to the football king of Sweden. Also, it's adios to the king of kings, Lionel Messi. But Zim Zimmer, how come Saudi didn't have the keys to Inter Miami? And from one Inter to another, how on earth will Inter Milan solve a problem like Manchester City? So, first of all, they are, well, no, let me do it like this. First of all, Fortune's been hiding for years and years and years and years, but now they're blowing bubbles in Europe. Andy, last night, uh, it's fair to say, was uh, a new era for West Ham. We spoke on Ramble Reacts uh, about um, West Ham and what an incredible occasion it, it, it was for them. And it's not just about the, the winning, it is about the journey. I think um, you've seen so many fans all over Europe and the world excited, thinking that could be us. You know, we don't have to be uh, Manchester City or uh, Real Madrid or, or, or whatever to, to, to have genuine hopes of winning a European trophy. So I think the, the message of hope is quite important. I, I would like a quick word for Fiorentina, though. We've had a great season under Vincenzo Italiano, who played pretty well in both the finals that they've lost. I thought they were good in the Coppa Italia final and they could have easily taken that to extra time at the very least, just as was the case last night. And uh, just like the end of the weakest link, they've ended up with 
with nothing. And I feel, I feel a little bit sad for them. But they are not the big European football news. <laughs> However much it means a lot to people in the East End of London, uh, there are several options as to the biggest news of the week from Europe. First of all, if you're a Swede, surely, JJ, there is only one great football story this week. Um, we'll come back to your thoughts on this, but let's hear what our own Lars Severston has to say about the great Zlatan retiring finally from the game. Hello, everyone. This is Lars Severson here. I hope you're all doing very well. Just to check in with a with a word on Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Big Z, who has announced his retirement. He has been an incredible player in a lot of ways. He's obviously racked up an incredible amount of trophies, scored some incredible goals. As a player, he kind of combined physical and technical qualities in a way we're not quite used to seeing, his combination of just brute force and power uh, with sort of... Uh, uh, occasionally sort of balletic elegance i think is very very unusual there have been very very few players uh, like him uh, throughout football history I, I think he's always been a slightly complicated player and in, in some ways there were periods of his career where he struggled to fit into the collective to fit into the team i think he suffered almost a little bit from being too versatile from being able to do too many things i think he was someone who had the technique and vision to be a playmaker and the physique to be a big number nine. And I think he sometimes wanted to do both. You had a tendency where he wanted to drop off and both be the guy who picked up the ball and spread it wide to a winger and also then be the winger who put it into the box and also be the striker who nods it into the ball. And, and, and one man can't do all those things. And I think that was a challenge for him sometimes. As a, a son of, of, of immigrant parents, you know, from an underprivileged background, I think he became an important idol and role model for a lot of people from, from difficult backgrounds, not just in Sweden, but eventually around the world as well. An example of how you can rise from, from challenging circumstances and, and achieve incredible things and do so in the, whilst staying very true to the person you are, which undeniably he, he always did. He's sort of uh, cocky, some might say overconfident nature, I think was always a bit of a defense mechanism. But then when he came back to Europe, to, to Milan, I think he he kind of became a slightly different person again. I think he eventually matured into a, a pretty good leader. And it'd be very interesting to see what he does now. And uh, what a career, what a guy. Uh, thanks for all the memories, Ibra. Well, thank you, Lars. Flipping out. That was the definitive, I think, biography or footballing uh uh, tribute to Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It doesn't get better than that, does it, Andy? No, a hundred percent. Thank you, Lars. And um, I think the 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 point that he made there about um, Zlatan, the character as a mask, is, is is quite an interesting one because we saw that um, when he um, retired on on the pitch after the game against Verona on, on on Sunday. Because of course, Milan had a, the big gala for him. They knew he was leaving the club. No one knew he was retiring until he got there and, 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 and took the mic. It was a, it was a surprise to, to everyone. He kept it to himself. And I think to see that slightly vulnerable side of Zlatan was remarkable, which obviously picked up by hushing the Verona fans who were booing him in typically 
um, brusque fashion, which I, I really enjoyed. But th- that idea of um, the the defense mechanism, I, I think, is a really interesting one because we saw that in his in his relationship with Sweden. This was a guy who was hugely touched when he had um, some stamps, uh, a range of stamps um, in his image released in Sweden. I think Dotton, being an all Swedish action hero, really appealed to him. It really meant something to him to have the recognition of a country that he felt sometimes left him as an outsider. So, yeah. you know, yeah. he built, I think he, he built his personality and he built his style of play on being, you know, on being Bruce Lee, on being a superhero, on being something completely different from Sweden. Yet he craved that acceptance at the same time. Let's be honest. He is the sports person in Sweden's history who has fundamentally changed uh, the country more than anybody else, more than Björn Borg, more than Ingmar Stiernmark, more than Ingmar Johansson. It is over and above his sport, it is Latin who has changed the country. The country is somewhat divided on his legacy, by the way, as I've been reading over the last couple of days, but it is Zlatan. He's much more than just a footballer, which is what much of what I got from what Lars had to say there. In France, though, where JJ, he spent a considerable time playing for PSG, but arguably didn't achieve what he could have achieved there? How was he viewed? Yeah, I mean, I I, I found it really interesting listening to what Lars said. Uh, and I'll take a, a different part uh, of, of what was a brilliant tribute to Zlatan, where Lars was talking about sort of Zlatan as a complete, complete player. Now, I believe, and obviously I'm biased because we had some great years with Zlatan uh, playing for PSG. I believe that he was probably at his best level football-wise in the years that he was in France with PSG. And I say that because I saw somebody who became a complete player during that time. He became the predatory goal scorer while also being the the creator-in-chief. He was the undisputed talisman of of that PSG team. Uh, And, you know, he was also kind of captain in a way because he made Thiago Silva's job so easy. Like Silva is a brilliant organizer, uh, you know, in the defense. And Zlatan is always that guy who is going to lead by example, regardless of whether or not he wears the armband. And I think it was a it was a perfect match. There was a lot to like about that sort of first iteration of uh, of, of Qatari PSG in terms of the characters the, the, that were mixed together. But specific to Zlatan, uh, I believe he missed an opportunity to really uh, sort of make himself a legend at uh, at, at one of his now former clubs. Uh, You know, I'm sure people will debate, uh, you know, how sort of legendary he is viewed. I personally think that he goes down as an iconic player, uh, certainly in terms of how his club's fan bases will remember him. And I think that all that was really missing from his time with PSG, I mean, we can say that it was missing a Champions League title, but they're still missing a Champions League title. They might forever be missing a Champions League title. But all that it was really missing for Zlatan to be a true legend of the club, given what he achieved on the pitch, was simply a a declaration of, of love. And I think he enjoyed sort of being the, the sort of anti-hero a little too much during his time with PSG, where some of the stuff that he said 
kind of undermined what he was trying to achieve with PSG, talking about how the club didn't have any history before Zlatan came. We know that that was sort of part of his character, the the persona that he built up. But I think that there was a lot of disappointment in Paris when he moved on for obvious reasons, because he was a phenomenal player, extremely productive during his time uh, in Ligue 1. But there was just this feeling that he never truly loved the club in the same way that the fans wanted to love him. But there's a very select few number of players that have come through PSG, uh, you know, who sort of hold on to that love from the fans. Edinson Cavani, his his one-time strike partner being one of those. Uh, And I think that ultimately that's perhaps something that might be considered missing from Zlatan's career. And for those of you who want to hear more about Zlatan, we have got a football ramble guide to Zlatan out next Tuesday. Make sure you don't miss it. And of course, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is not the only uh, player in the European uh, hierarchy of football that we kind of had to say goodbye to uh, this week. Karim Benzema, King Karim, he is from your manner, JJ, as it were, although he spent most of his time applying his trade with Real Madrid. Did he achieve what he was expected to achieve at Real Madrid, Andy? More, I would say. Um, I mean, it's it's like you have the the, the three eras of Elvis. You, you definitely have that with Benzema just at Real Madrid. Um, you know, left Leon um, with a huge reputation already that he'd built as a, as a teenager, and for what was a really big fee at the time. I think that's easy to forget that forty million for um, a, a player who never played outside his own country or lived outside his parents' house in 2009 was a lot of money. And he took a risk and immediately it didn't come off because um, he was dropped from the 2010 World Cup because his performances were not great in the first year. He came the same summer as Cristiano Ronaldo and Kaká, so he was in their shadow a little bit. I think he struggled on a on a human level and on a growing up level, I think, to adapt to... Um, life outside his bubble and certainly life in a, in a in a foreign country so that's the first bit then you get to the second bit where he's still criticized by quite a lot of um real madrid fans both at home and abroad um for for a number of reasons because they expect more of him but he becomes cristiano ronaldo's ideal strike partner and in in that, in that point because he's florentino perez's pet and because he's Ronaldo's preferred player, I think if you asked Ronaldo who's who's your favourite strike partner ever, he would answer Benzema before you got to the end of the question because he was he was so good for him. And to turn from that striker of vision into changing not only his mindset but his body, I think you look at how his physique's changed in in, in recent years to become the main man when Gareth Bale was unable to replace Ronaldo. That that's that's your third act of Benzema at Real Madrid, and, but JJ, I I just wonder how do we tally this with his nearly but not quite international career? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a, a sense of what might have been, uh, you know, especially as we sort of got that taste of. Benzema at his best being back with France for a short period of time and then obviously it all ended in in tears and acrimony uh, you know around the the 2022 World Cup but I do think that that will always you know now be sort of a, a mark uh, you know on his career sort of how his fantastic achievements at club level 
contrast wildly with what actually happened at international level because even when he was available for selection there was always a feeling that Benzema was better or more productive at club level than he was with Le Bleu uh, you know and I think that will now sort of forever sort of stay with him you know I think that's regardless as well of the the controversy uh, you know I think that many people will just remember that Benzema did in fact you know play for France despite being away uh, out of action for over five years but never quite, uh, you know, lived up to the same kind of talismanic status that he eventually showed himself capable of supporting at Real. Clearly, he's going to be missed more at club level than he will be at international level. So how does Real Madrid replace him then, Andy? I think it's a really difficult question because I think if you go back to, I guess, the genesis of what's happening, happening, because Real Madrid were caught a little on the hop by him him going off to, to, to Saudi. I think until just a couple of weeks ago, they thought he was going to stay uh, for, for an extra year. So they'd agreed this contract in principle for um, him, to, him to extend for a year. Um, it was ready to be signed for, for, for months. It, it didn't quite happen. And I wonder if the start of this is the pursuit of Mbappe last year, because I think they were right to pursue Mbappe but the fact that they were all in for him, the fact that they were ready to offer um, 180 million euros and maybe a little bit more for a player who was out of contract in a year, that made it clear how much they wanted Mbappe. And I think it maybe reminded Benzema of however great the last couple of years have been, and they've, they've been phenomenal, by the way. It reminded him of his footballing mortality, the fact that eventually Real Madrid will we're going to move on. And of course, we mustn't overlook the fact that I think he's, he's become more devout in the last couple of years. So I think playing in a Muslim country is a big deal to him as, as, as well. I think um, Real Madrid from here, it's happened a, a year earlier than they would have liked because clearly they want to go back. They want to go all in for Mbappe next year. Now, they've got no chance of getting him this summer. I think that's, that's pretty clear. PSG have been firm on that. Because they've spent so much on Jude Bellingham, because there are other little mini rebuilds to do in the team, and you know it's it's not just um, him that's left. Um, you've got Asensio leaving, you've got Ceballos leaving, you've got you've got a lot of squad players on on their way as well. Um, I wonder if they don't go all out for a big centre forward this summer. Now it's not to be completely ruled out. I think Kai Havertz is an interesting one because he can play at centre forward, and then if you go and get that superstar centre-forward like Benzema, you can shift Havertz to another position on the pitch. Um, Jose Lu looks like he's close um, with Espanyol having gone down. That, to me, feels like the sort of stopgap or maybe someone free like Roberto Firmino that they will be looking at with a big push for Mbappe next summer. But Benzema always said, though, JJ, that he wanted to end his career in Real Madrid. How do you say in French... But there are, in life, other opportunities. Oh, c'est la vie. We all know that, uh, you know, in football, there will be these big, there, there will be these big lucrative uh, offers. And, uh, you know, I think as well, uh, you know, you look at what's happening in Saudi Arabia uh, at the moment. And, you know, while there is uh, a lot of cynicism, um about it and uh you know sort of disparaging remarks made um you know you can understand for some of these players the opportunity to cash in uh you know on a last payday uh you know and i think 
I'm with Andy. Uh, you know, the well, once this opportunity popped up, it was it was completely normal that that Benzema would consider it. I don't I don't doubt that he wanted to finish his career at Real Madrid, and I'm sure Real would have loved to have uh, you know for him to have retired there and gone out on a, on a high with them as well. But you know, reality is that our, since winning the Ballon d'Or, especially this season, he's been a little bit more injury prone. And, you know, I think it just made sense to, to, to sort of separate with, with him at this, uh, at this juncture, uh, you know, because there's been a, an element of uh, succession planning that Real Madrid have pulled off very well in midfield. But you look at sort of what's happened with, uh, with, with Luka Modric as well, where Modric doesn't quite have the physical issues that Benzema has experienced this past season. So, you know, I think... It was an opportunity and an opportunity at the end of the day that Real Madrid were not willing to sort of stand in his way to block given their hopes uh, and plans for sort of the next couple of years because I think that succession planning doesn't just apply to the midfield, it applies to a number of the different positions in the team and we'll see that unfold sort of over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble.
I did say at the top of this podcast that this was an end of several eras edition. So we've talked about Zlatan, we've talked about Benzema, and arguably the greatest end of an era, arguably, is King of Kings, Lionel Messi. No surprise to anyone that he was leaving PSG, JJ, but did anyone imagine that he was going to end up where he's ended up? I mean, I think it's been obvious for a time that there was only a select number of destinations that might be possible. And to be fair, Inter-Miami were talked about as one, uh, you know, sort of as far back as sort of six months plus uh, ago, like around about the time of the World Cup. There's been a lot of confidence for for quite a while uh, in Miami that they'd be able to pull this off. I don't think that they expected such competition from Saudi Arabia but obviously once that emerged as an option that you know kind of w- jumped ahead of the the romantic potential return uh to to Barcelona which if you know I think if we're being honest never really s- seemed realistic uh you know I know that everyone sort of connected to the club wanted to speak positively about it including Xavi uh including Laporta but um it's it never really felt like it could happen, you know, given the way that he left the club in the first place. The fact that the financial situation hasn't really improved that much, despite however many levers have been pulled since he since he left Catalonia. Uh, you know, and I do think that it was inevitable after just after the World Cup, when the initial sort of speculation that he had agreed to stay on with PSG died down and it became clear that nothing actually was in the works. I think that's when people start. It started to dawn on people that we wouldn't see Messi beyond the end of the season just gone in Paris. Yeah, what he said, Andy, um, he said to Mundo Deportivo this week, I'm at a point where I want to step out of the spotlight a bit, think more about my family. I had two years where I was so unhappy on a personal level that I didn't enjoy it. I want to rediscover joy, enjoy my family, my children, uh, the day to day, what's he talking about there? I wonder. You know what? I, I I would feel not amazing about this if if I were PSG because they were a club that um, took him in with enormous enthusiasm when he was booted out by Barcelona because they didn't have the money to keep him. You know, he he, he made it clear um, how unhappy he was about leaving Barcelona. But, you know, that Paris never asked for any public declaration of love or, or anything like that. They just asked him to come. And it, it felt to me like for, for a lot of it, he was, was just going because he, he, he had to. Clearly, he got a lot of what he wanted out of it. Now, maybe he didn't get the unconditional love that he, he got at Barcelona. Maybe, maybe that's the, the, the big thing. And we've talked on the show before about, say, some of the ultras' rather frosty treatment of him. I think it has a lot to do, not about Messi personally, but about the culture, the superstar culture at the club has, that, that has been allowed to develop and that he feels symptomatic of that. Now, I'm, I'm not sure I would expect Messi to get that. I'm not sure I would expect him to understand that. But clearly, um, that affected his, his feelings about things. I think um, being away from the place where it was his home since he was 12 years old was, was, was quite difficult for him to cope with. But I think it's interesting how he 
said elsewhere in that 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 statement that he um felt that Barcelona couldn't make him happy that you know that it's, it's it's what he'd 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 wanted but Barcelona couldn't give him what he wanted and it wasn't about money now of course his his dad Jorge raised hopes amongst Barcelona fans a lot of whom we have to say are absolutely heartbroken that he's not not going back um earlier in the week by saying you know it's is is something that they wanted to to to, to go back it, it feels to me that is a lot of Messi back to Barcelona has, has, has been done for show. I think you look at Juan Laporta and his public enthusiasm for bringing back Messi was not necessarily matched in private. It felt a little bit going through the motions on on both sides because Messi was in, the, from his perspective, was in the situation where he's having to wait about for Barcelona again, just like he was for two years ago. And who the heck wants to be in that situation? Because then he really did have his, his heart broken and I think the future of his career compromised because he had such a slow start at PSG because it completely capsized his, his, his pre-season, all that uncertainty. And I think from the Barcelona perspective, okay, they want to give him the send-off that he deserves, but at the expense of rebuilding the team because they need every euro they can get. Uh, it's interesting, uh, you know, hearing Andy say that. And before I start, I don't want you guys thinking I'm trying to crowbar Aston Villa in at any cost. <laughs> but we know that Ale- we, we 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 know that Alemani was set to move to Villa Park, and then suddenly there was a U-turn. Now, part of sort of Alemani's reasoning behind being tempted by the Villa offer, according to a lot of the stuff that I read about the topic, was the fact that he didn't understand why Barcelona were flirting with this option, this idea of bringing Messi back uh, when it would have undone everything that he'd worked so hard towards. And I just wonder, when that U-turn came came about uh, and he decided to stay with Barcelona instead of going to Villa, whether that was actually maybe the moment where things changed internally in terms of Barcelona's real desire and commitment to bringing Messi back. Uh, you know, and since then, sort of the the possibility of that happening has actually waned to the point where it was sort of more messy in his entourage that wanted it. Because let's not forget, you know, it's also a question of, of, of sort of Messi's family uprooting them once again. Uh, and obviously, a still a big part of their life uh, is is back in uh, in Barcelona. And it just kind of feels like by the end, you know, we saw Kylian Mbappe getting his UNFP award the day after the after the title was sealed and Messi was watching Coldplay while Mbappe was picking up the trophy. It's, you know, it kind of felt like it was being pushed more by the player and the people around him than the club uh, towards the end. If there is a silver lining to this for PSG, uh, go away, Tim on social media wants to know he says and sends us uh, this message Messi leaving and more sensible transfer rumors are PSG on a more sustainable course it's a good question uh, I think PSG are finally starting to think about things in the right way whether that's going to put them on a sustainable course or not we'll have to wait and see uh I would say that, you know, I think that's come a bit too late. We didn't need Messi joining the party at Parc des Princes to know that PSG were not going to win the Champions League just by overloading the team with star talent. But they tried it anyway, and it was entertaining for a, for a while. <laughs> but uh, it's, it, to be honest, it just feels like 
PSG have kind of run out of gas a little bit under the Qataris. You know, we know that, you know, there's also rumors of Qatari interest in Manchester United now. Uh, and it kind of feels like there's only a couple more maybe iterations of this Qatari project that will get tried in Paris before, you know, it really becomes sort of obvious that, you know, that success that they crave in the Champions League might never come. So sure, I'm sure that Campos will relish being able to go for you know, I guess what we could call more realistic transfers this summer. You know, that Asensio is already uh, close. Ugarte as well from Sporting, who I think is going to be a very good pickup for PSG. But, uh, you know, there is still going to be a massive element of star power and celebrity around PSG. You've got Kylian Mbappe, the undisputed top dog. Neymar, who PSG will do absolutely anything they can to get rid of, but just can't. It's like that <laughs> Simpsons scene where Barney gets thrown out of Moe's Tavern and then you know, immediately pops up behind him. It's kind of what's happening with Neymar now. But uh, honestly, I mean, basically what I'm trying to say, this is a long way of saying that, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, that PSG are pursuing a, a more sustainable uh, route to success. I think in the meantime, the fact that uh, Kylian Mbappe is doing his best LeBron James player slash sporting director in um, going and sweet talking targets at the moment. I mean, we, we've we've heard Marcus Turam, who's of course free after leaving Borussia Mönchengladbach. Th that to me seems like a very positive step forward. That that would be logical because price wise, they're not going to get their pants pulled down, and not only because uh, he's, he's he's available for for um, without transfer fee, but also he's not only Mbappe's mate, but someone who he appreciates what, what he can do for them. You know, he's played as a centre forward um, this season for Mönchengladbach. So he could clearly fill that role that Mbappe wants to, to, to play off, but he's great without the ball. And that is the thing that they've really lacked with that big name front three. So if, if there's one thing they do this summer, having, forward players who are good without the ball would be a massive step forward and, and the first step towards this more sort of equitable future that they're looking for. But what, what will the uh, Messi uh, legacy be? Uh, the French Messi legacy, JJ, uh, how will he be remembered there? Will, will, will it be seen as something of, uh, um, I don't know, a stain on his career? I don't think it'll be seen as a stain on his career. Um, uh, you know, and I don't think the French fans will necessarily feel conned either. I mean, I, I know some sort of hardcore PSG fans will feel like, you know, they didn't get the best version of Messi. And, you know, they didn't. You know, he's not going to be sort of at that level ever again. Uh, you know, he was when he was at his phenomenal best. But he still put up some very good numbers, uh, you know, all things considered. But if we're talking legacy... You have to look at the trophies that he's uh, that he's won with PSG during his time, and he's won two Ligue 1 titles or been a part of of two Ligue 1 title successes. Uh, yet two round of sixteen Champions League exits. That's off the back of PSG being runners up and semi finalists, uh, and they didn't win the Coupe de France in either of the seasons that he played. So you can't really paint it in. Uh, you know, a particularly positive light. It's been two seasons of regression. It's not all directly linked to Messi, of course, but, uh, you know, it's not sort of what everyone thought, you know, PSG and Messi might be about to do together uh, when he signed a couple of years ago.
So the match of the season is upon us uh, this weekend. The Champions League final. It's what we've all been waiting for, but it is a return to Istanbul, isn't it, Andy? It, it is. And who would have thought Inter would get there? I mean, their season has just been bizarre. There's no other way of describing it. You know, they had hopes of taking back the Serie A title at the beginning of it. I've never got anywhere close. Um, I think as recently as Easter, they look like not making the top four. Um, yeah, in the end, they've made the top four with some comfort. They've won the Coppa Italia. They're in a second final. And all of this is probably going to lead to, lead to Simone Inzaghi, who, who looked like a goner a couple of months ago, keeping his job. Um, only partially because... They could do without the added ex- expense of sacking him because there's it's still a load of massive financial question marks. But I know a lot of people look at this final and say, "How can Inter win it?" I, I think I think Inter can win it. I'm 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 not convinced they will at all. But given that it's a one-off game, given that. The best of Inter this season, and as we've previously described on the show, the best and the worst of Inter, you could drive the Titanic between the two. It's absolutely massive, the, the, the difference. And if, if good Inter turn up, I think we've got a game and a half on our hands because good Inter are really, really, really good. Now, w- without exactly touching those peaks in the semi-JJ, the way they managed those occasions both the emotion of the occasion and the actual when, when you come into the second game the actual situation in the tie it's a huge compliment to Inzaghi and a huge reminder of the experience of those players as well yeah absolutely I mean I think Inzaghi has really shown everyone that maybe he's not a manager for a league campaign but he's certainly a manager mm. who sort of relishes being in that cup uh, environment uh, you know sort of having uh, you know, a set sort of, uh, you know, number of, of, of games to, to get through uh, and advance through. Uh, and that certainly seems to be his uh, his forte. Um, I mean, I think the thing that strikes you so much, uh, you know, about Inter when you look at them is that sort of in terms of in Champions League terms, they don't necessarily have the most star-studded squad. But when you look at them on the pitch, you know, that defense is rock solid. I think they kept, what, five out of six potential clean sheets or something like that en route to the final, yeah. uh, or at least on the way to the semi-finals. Very impressive, uh, you know, defensive return. Uh, you know, there's great balance to that midfield. Uh, you know, the attack has teeth as well, whether it's Lukaku, whether it's Martinez, uh, you know, who I think is, is you know, massively improved since a very disappointing World Cup, uh, or whether that's Dzeko, uh, you know, sort of being the veteran presence that either you know, starts or uh, sometimes comes off the bench to grab a goal. There's some very underrated talents in that team as well. You know, DiMarco, I think, is is fantastic. You look at some of the, the assists that he's got. I think he sort of leads in terms of assists, uh, uh, you know, from, from open play over the second half of the Champions League. So... I think this Inter team, uh, you know, is quite easy to write off, uh, you know, yet they have this ability to, you know, kind of take people by surprise. I, I don't really want to necessarily punch above, say punch above their weight, but, you know, certainly to to shock a few people. And, you know, if City are not the brilliant best that we saw in that second leg uh, against Real Madrid, in that opening leg against Bayern Munich, uh, also against uh, RB Leipzig, 
you know, they could find it quite tough uh, against this Inter side, especially if the game, the longer the game goes on and they don't get a goal, you know, it could get tricky. So I'm, I'm with Andy, although I wouldn't bet the house on uh, on Inter shocking City. I do think that there is the possibility and I wouldn't totally write it off. But the problem is that we know that Manchester City will be at their best. We know that. And if the first team isn't, the second team will be. And they're still good enough to win this trophy, Andy. Um, although they've got well, we to don't, get... A... We, don't, we don't know that, do we? We, do, we don't know that because they've never done it in a Champions League final before. This is true. Until City win a Champions League, we can't know that they can do it. The fact that Inter have been here before is the advantage that they've got. Well, I, I don't know about that because the previous iterations of, of, of Inter have, have, have been here before. So I, I think it's easy to look at the historic side of it. But I think you look at like Guardiola's Man City side have inexplicably choked at big Champions League moments before. Now, do I think they're less likely to do that? Absolutely. Because this season, they've shown... We, we already knew that they had the talent, um, the, the ability to play well enough to, to, to do it. That was never in question. But they, they found new and exciting ways to not get it done in, in, in the last couple of years in, in the Champions League. So, you know, you can go back to 2019. You can look at the quarterfinal with Spurs. And again, I've no idea how they didn't get through that. You can look at the 2021 final. You can look at last year in, in Madrid, how they, they, they didn't get it over the line at the, the, the Bernabeu. All really extraordinary and perplexing. I think you look at the last couple of months in which City have been irresistible. He has just picked his best team. And that is the greatest asset that they they have. They've not overcomplicated things, not needed to monopolise possession to get stuff done. They've got different ways of, of doing it. That's why it's so difficult to, to see them losing this because it's not the same brilliant Manchester City of previous years. But if we're looking about what Inter can do, obviously they have to be at their absolute best and they have to have a bit of luck and hope as well. I just sort of uh, adding to, to what Andy was saying as well. I think that's been one of the fascinating things about this, uh, you know, route to the final for City, the amount of times that Guardiola has just gone with a starting 11 and not even opted to make substitutions in, in some of the games. Mm. Uh, you know, he has that, that sort of level of confidence and, and conviction in the team that he's putting out uh, on the pitch. But I mean, I think as well, it's been quite obvious in some of the press conferences over the last couple of months, whenever there's been a big Champions League game and he's been asked about it, he kind of, uh, you know, great uh, against, uh, you know, the, these questions about, uh, you know, his his Champions League legacy, the fact that he hasn't won it since I think 2011, which was the second of his Champions League titles with Barca, uh, despite, you know, this this kind of, it's almost like a curse uh, in the Champions League. He reached, I think, three semis with Bayern. And then obviously he's gone to the final uh, since with City, but lost in 2021. But, you know, it's a it's a feeling that it's finally the, the moment for him to get it over the line, uh, you know, and perhaps, uh, you know, finally achieve all that he can potentially achieve with uh, with this city, because it does kind of feel like if they were to miss this year for whatever reason uh, and lose out to City, it's just going to get more and more difficult because there's going to be more pieces of this puzzle, uh, you know, that they have to sort of chop and change. I do wonder, listening to both of you, whether uh, often enough we're guilty of overrating Man City's chances of winning any tournament or any match indeed, and perhaps underrating, underrating Inter's possibilities 
in this matchup in Istanbul. It's a question, actually, from at the bridge pod. To this end, are Bastoni, Aserbi and Damian arguably uh, one of the most underrated defensive trios in Europe this season? Thoughts on that, Andy? Well, they're, they're good and they're a, they're a good combination. But I, I think that they're an indication also of what a transient moment this is for, for Inter. I mean, Acherby's story is absolutely extraordinary, by the way. You know, you think of um, a 35-year-old who's recovered from depression and cancer and is on loan from Lazio and now he's in the Champions League final. It's an absolutely remarkable story. Dardamian as, as as well, who we've known his best as sort of buccaneering wing back and, and, and there he is fitting into this this back three a, a lot of the time. And Bastoni, who was one of those assets who they've looked like they'd have to move a, a couple of transfer windows in a row and is remarkably still there and a, a decade younger than both of them. But this can't last. I think that's the, the thing that makes this so interesting for, for Inter. And, you know, I, I know it's normal to have that feeling that, you know, Pep Guardiola talked about it in an interview with Graham Hunter recently. He's like, we we can't avoid the fact that we have to get this over the line at some point. We just have to get this over the line. And so I think it's normal to think that all the pressure is on, on City. On the other hand, Inter will only have this chance because when it comes to summer, their financial future is uncertain. Uh, Stephen Jang has said that he's got no plans to sell the club, but they do need investment. That's clear. The bottom fell out of their sponsorship deal with Digital Bits, with them owned owed tens of millions of, of euros. The same with Roma, of course, who were also sponsored by them, which is why they both stopped wearing them on the shirts. Um, they're going to have to sell a couple of big players. And presumably that they don't want to be renewing veterans left and right as as, as well. So if if it's Bastoni, Acerbi and Darmian and, and, and their big moment, it, it will be a last big moment because I would bet any amount of money that you want to bet that I won't be the back three next season. When Simone Inzaghi says that he won't change anything about the way the Inter Milan play, uh, he won't change their approach against Manchester City. Do you believe that? Uh, for the most part, I do believe it. I think we know how they're going to line up, certainly in terms of the defence and the midfield. But as we've seen already, you know, all it needed was, uh, you know, for a change uh, in the attacking combination, uh, you know, putting Dzeko on from the start when he was expected to, to go with uh, Lukaku. Uh, you know, that was enough to sort of throw Milan off uh, a little bit in the semi-final, enough to sort of, uh, you know, blow them away in the in the first leg. So, you know, I think that is potentially the only area where Inzaghi, uh, you know, might sort of debate potentially putting out a, a surprise name but other than that I expect him to go with the team that has gotten them to this stage As this is clearly the game of the week I wonder what you would both suggest that we have uh, to accompany us to sustain us through the full 90 maybe 120 minutes plus penalties who knows but we need some food uh, Andy do you want to go first on that? Well, I'm uh, hosting a house full of children this weekend for the, the Champions League final. Uh, so it's going to be a barbecue for me. Yeah. It'll be a little nod to Diego Milito's asado going back to Inter's glory days in, in 2010 when he, he filed, fired them to the, the Champions League final. And, and 
to victory in the end in in Madrid. And, and you can hear more about that on uh, this week's Ramble Guide to Inter's treble winners. Oh, it makes me hungry just thinking about it. What I think I'll do is I'll actually piggyback on uh, on Andy's barbecue and get some skewered meats going. So then you've got you know you've got the kebab option when in Turkey. Uh, all of that <laughs> might leave off might leave off the fight post match, but uh, you know cert- certainly got to hit a kebab while you're there in Istanbul. But also they have those great sort of like pastry squares that you have with like uh, spinach and like oh, cheese. Yes. Phenomenal as well. So I'd have those finger foods on the table. I would definitely recommend that spinach pastry. Oh my word. Bucket full of baklava. Come on. The Football Ramble is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 